continue our series on marriage as Paul presents these instructions to the church at Ephesus. Several weeks ago now, I walked outside. My son was going to cut the grass, and uh, he was pouring the mix, oil mix for two-cycle engines into the lawnmower that just takes straight gasoline. I freaked out, uh, called one of the men in the church, Eric Skorsky. I have a list of men who know how to do things that all self-respecting men know how to do, but I don't know how to do. So uh, it, some of you are on that list, you know. So I called Eric, oh no, what do we do? And he actually said, you're, you're fine. It's not going to hurt the lawnmower to put the oil gas mix in there. But if you were to do it the other way around, if for whatever reason he were to put the gas and oil, the sh regular gas in the blower or weed eater that takes the mix, that's when all the damage happens, whatever it is. That's what, that's what happens. Some of you men and women, excuse me, don't mean to. <laughs> uh, some of you know what that is. I don't. But it illustrates the point that for it to work correctly, you have to have just the right mix in a two-cycle engine. You have to, to have the gas and the oil blend to make it run like it should, or that's where the breakdown happens. What I want to argue this morning is that in order for Christian marriage to work, we must marry, as Paul says, only in the Lord. Stated negatively, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are not to be unequally yoked, believer and unbeliever in Jesus Christ, but we are to, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven thirty-nine, to marry only in the Lord as Christians. So kids especially, listen up. What I'm going to try to give to you this morning are three arguments. It's for all of us, but for you in particular, three arguments as to why you should, if you're a Christian today, singles, if you're desiring to get married, you should only marry Christians. Otherwise, the whole thing breaks down. I hope to give you today three arguments to say why a Christian man should only marry a Christian woman. A Christian woman should only marry a Christian man. It's not because we're inherently better people as Christians. It's not because we're of some better class or higher value that we're inherently better. It's only because we have been saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and God intends for Christians to marry Christians. We're going to start from Ephesians 5, and I'll bring in some other verses as we go this morning. Would you read with me again, starting at 5, verse 21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now to be our teacher? There's no way in this amount of time to do justice to this discussion. Would you, by your Spirit, teach and train and lead and guide and give us wisdom and understanding? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start, I want to answer a question you might be asking. That is, do we really need to direct a whole sermon to this point of why Christians should only marry Christians, to only marry in the Lord. In other words, maybe you're asking too, is it worth a whole sermon or why should I listen to this sermon? And I would say, yes, it is. And I want to give you four reasons briefly why I think you should listen to this sermon. One, you're already here and you have no place to go, so it would be rude to leave. Two, Christian marriage is so important and so sacred to God that we want to understand it and treat it appropriately. Thirdly, as pastors and elders, we see the carnage. We see the ripple effects and the destructions and the heartache and the brokenness that comes from our covenant children marrying or dating non-Christians. We need to understand how important this is. And fourthly, at each of these three arguments I'm going to give you, there's a corresponding, what I'm calling a corresponding Reformation general principle that is universally applicable to, a, to you as a Christian this morning, no matter where you are in this idea of marriage. Some of you are gladly single. Some of you are single and want to be married. Some of you are in bad marriages. Some of you are in good marriages. Some of you are divorced. Wherever you are in your journey, these universally applicable principles that come out of the Reformation will make it worthwhile for you to be here as well, even if you're not interested in this topic of being unequally yoked. So here's the three arguments I want to give you. Why you should only marry in the Lord. Why you should not be unequally yoked. The first is the commandments and the assumptions of Scripture require that you only marry in the Lord. The commandments and the assumptions, the inferences of God's Word show us that. We read the first one this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 7 where God says to his people, do not intermarry believers, followers of God, Christ followers, do not intermarry with unbelievers because it will lead your heart astray, it will lead you into idolatry, 
uh, the, the, you will reap the results of not marrying in the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 7. They will turn the hearts of your sons and daughters away to idols. God stated it clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 7. In the New Testament, I've already mentioned this. Talking about divorce in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says that if a spouse dies, that the woman is free to remarry, but only in the Lord. It's assumed and taught in the New Testament that we marry Christians, if you're a Christian this morning. Thirdly, and I could give other examples of this, but in the Old Testament, Abraham when he's looking for a wife for his daughter, uh, for his son Isaac, sends his servant and says, go find a wife for my son Isaac from our own people. Don't find a Canaanite wife. He could not bear the fact that his son Isaac would go and intermarry into a heathen people. Fourthly, Proverbs 31 what does this say about the Proverbs 31 woman? Well, as, the, as the, the writer of Proverbs is giving that instruction, listen, my son, here's, here's what not to do. He, at the end of Proverbs, says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's what you're to desire. Certainly a man who fears the Lord, ladies, is what you are to desire. 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul is giving his own argument for his apostleship and why he's free to do in God the things that he's done. And here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? It's assumed that a Christian would only marry a Christian. 2 Corinthians 6.14, not applying directly to marriage, but Paul says, don't be unequally yoked, believer and unbeliever. Don't, in this context, don't take part in the temple worship of idols and join yourself to false worship. Don't unequally yoke yourself in any kind of significant way to an unbeliever because it's light and darkness. It's, it's polar opposites. It's totally different trajectories. Protect your heart in this way. Last one. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, husband, uh, verse 7. Sorry, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And then he goes on to say, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. In other words, Peter's assuming in this that you've married a believer. Those are some arguments and assumptions from Scripture. I could give you more. What's the universally applicable Reformation principle here? It's sola scriptura. And by that I mean what we all have to understand as we see these implications in Scriptures and commandments in Scriptures about marriage or about any other part in our lives, that God's Word is the supreme authority that it is the final answer, that, it can, that Christ, through the power of the Word, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has revealed to us in Holy Scripture what a good Father and an Almighty King wants us to know 
for our joy, for our blessing, for, uh, for the glory of God. It's revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures, and the infallible Scriptures are above all other authorities in our lives, and we must obey God rather than men. If your, if your circumstances or if your feelings, if you find that your circumstances and your feelings as you approach marriage or any other issue, if you find that they are not in accord with God's word, you need to check your feelings and circumstances under the authority of God's word and not vice versa. In other words, I know the Bible says I shouldn't marry a non-Christian but I've never had a person treat me better than this one does. And you feel a different way or the circumstances tend to lead you in a different way. Scripture is the authority. Let me give you a quick example. We'll move to the second argument. I had a friend just this week in a different area. He said, for the last 10 years, I have really started to take the Lord's Day seriously. On Sunday, now this is not legalism, this is not law for you, but just, this is what this brother was sharing with me. On Sundays, I put down all electronics all day if I can help it. I get rid of all uh, phones and, and, and you know, laptops and iPads, and, and I try to put it all away for the whole day. I try not even to watch TV on that day. I try not even to exercise on that day. I try to do all the things I don't do the rest of the week so I can just open myself up into communion with God. And he said, for the last 10 years, it's made a huge difference in my life. Well, yeah, because God ordained in his word one day in seven to be the day of rest. God knows what he's talking about. The scriptures are our supreme authority. Second argument. Not only do we marry only in the Lord because the commandments and assumptions of scripture make that clear, but the nature and purposes of marriage indicate this as well. Marriage is about honoring Christ. The Bible is clear. Marriage is about bringing Christ's glory. Marriage is about magnifying Christ. Marriage is about two people uniting in Christ. Marriage is about causing each other to reflect the glory of Christ. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And if we try to marry outside of Christ as a believer, we're missing the whole point. We take two sets of vows at a wedding. Evidently, there was a wedding here yesterday. We take two sets of vows. The first are what we call the pledging of the troth, or the declaration of intent, in which a couple stands there before the minister, before the witnesses, and they declare to God their intentions. It's a vow to God. And then they make vows to one another in marriage. But it's a covenant with the Lord. Sometimes look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where it calls marriage a covenant with God. The nature and purposes of marriage show that it's got to be between believers, as Christians, that is. And Christians need to be of one mind and one judgment about the nature of marriage as that one flesh union the monogamous relationship till death do us part that we vow to God when we stand and get married together. Marriage is the most intimate relationship that God has created 
for our mutual blessing. How can you be in the most intimate relationship with someone when you're of the kingdom of light and they're of the kingdom of darkness? It's not possible. Marriage is a picture of the love of Christ in his church. Paul speaks in Ephesians 5 here of the mystery that he's referring to Christ and his church. Marriage pictures how much Christ loves the church and our marriages model for the world how much Christ loves the church. How can light and darkness, how can the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of Christ be unified in this way and still bring glory to Christ? It's a picture of Christ in the church. Marriage, as we know from Ephesians 5, is to help our spouses become more like Christ. Paul says, you're gonna, husbands, you're going to present your wives to the Lord as Christ is going to present his bride to himself in all her glory and, glory and radiance without blemish, without spot, that we're going to stand before the Lord completely cleansed of our sin, wholly sanctified. And, and the husband's role is to encourage the wife in that sanctification. And the, the, the wife's role is to encourage the husband in that sanctification. How is that possible? If one of them does not know Christ, marriage is for the procreation of godly offspring. How can you raise children to know and love the Lord if your spouse is not a part of that same journey? How can you pass on a faith to your children that a spouse contradicts? Well, I'll stop on that one for now. Uh, marriage is for the glory of God, of course. What's the overarching Reformation principles here? Solus Christus, soli Deo Gloria. In other words, in marriage, as well as all other decisions of your life, if you're a, a believer in Jesus, you're asking the question, how do I magnify Jesus with my life? How do I live for his glory and his kingdom? having been radically saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, how do I live in response to that grace and honor Jesus with my life? How do I live for the glory of God? And certainly that would impact who you choose to date, who you choose to marry, if your life is about the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, Growing a family for Christ's glory. Solo, oh, solus Christus and soli Deo Gloria. Third argument. The requirements and challenges of marriage make it necessary to marry someone who also has the Holy Spirit of Christ in them. Who has the, the goal of magnifying Christ as their goal as well. Marriage is not easy. The requirements and the roles of marriage are not easy. The husband is supposed to love a wife as Jesus has loved him. A wife is supposed to submit to the, the authority of the, the husband in the home as unto the Lord. Not because the man's better but because God has ordained authority structures that we honor in that way. How could we fulfill those roles if we're not even believers? 
You think about the difficulty of marriage. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he's making a different argument, but he says that those who marry will have many troubles in this life. Of course we do. Two sinners with all their insecurities and all their baggage and all their idolatry and all their, their, their sinfulness. They're sinners and they've been sinned against and they come from broken families and they enter into this one flesh union. Apart from the Holy Spirit, this thing should go crazy. But Paul says it's going to be difficult, which is why Christian marriage is so important. Don't be unequally yoked, but marry in the Lord. We know, don't we, that unequally yoked marriages are, are way more likely to be divorced. We know as well that people who cohabitate together and live together before they get married, their, their, their chances of divorce are, are statistically so much higher. God gives the requirements, and marriage is challenging. And with all the sin and with all the temptation that's going on in our own hearts. It makes sense, doesn't it, that we're only going to be faithful to our vows if Christ is at the center of our lives and His glory is our goal. Two broken, selfish, insecure, idolatrous people forming a one-flesh union with Christ. How's it going to work if Christ is not at the center so you must look for someone who is both yoked to Jesus and yoked to the church because this is the body of Christ. And together, we need a marriage that is centered on Christ and his people. A marriage that is filled with Christ and his gospel. It was Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, that said, Couples, listen to this, couples don't fall out of love as much as they fall out of repentance. Couples don't fall out of love as much as they fall out of repentance. How can you truly be honest about the brokenness of your heart and your need for your Savior in your marriage if Jesus is not preeminent in your life and the atoning work of Christ is not at the core of who you are? Your trajectories are completely opposite, believer and unbeliever. Your heart your goals, your desires, your loves, your mission, they're diametrically opposed. I had another friend who was in a business uh, partnership, owned a business with another man who was not a Christian, and it just took a few years before we realized they're just, they're unequally yoked, and it was, they're going in total different directions in life and in eternity. It makes a difference. Your body, your body as a Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body and your soul belong to the kingdom of light. You're under the dominion of Christ as a believer. They're under the dominion of darkness. Satan is still their Lord, Paul says. Teenagers, how, would you, how can you date in that way? Seems like you're setting yourself up for a lot of problems. I want to say this, because I know you can't say everything, but it's not impossible... We must acknowledge it's not impossible for a Christian and a non-Christian to marry and to make it. We believe in God's common grace. We believe that God has made people in his image, and so they reflect, even in their brokenness and fallenness, some of the, 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 the image of God in, in, in a variety of ways. We all do. It's possible for two good people to make it. 
There's always room for forgiveness. There's always room for the mercy and grace of Jesus. But it doesn't take away the consequences. It's possible, as Paul said, or as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, that wives can even lead their non-Christian husbands to Jesus by their character. It's possible that you're unbel- which is, by the way, if you're married today to an unbelieving spouse, you don't divorce, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7. It's possible in God's mercy that that one could be one to Jesus by your own life and testimony. But brothers and sisters, I would not presume upon the grace of the Lord Jesus. Teenagers, I would beg you. The bar is set so high in Christian marriage. The call for fidelity and mutual submission and selflessness and intimacy, you do not have the power to do in your own strength. Marriage will survive as two people are looking to Christ. If you're unequally yoked, how's that possible? Uh, Let me give you just another thing from our text here. It's really interesting. If you look at chapter 5... And you look at verse 18 through 21. It's one long thought in the Greek there. And and he gives uh, this commandment, two commands and four participles uh, for living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not be, we, we talked about this several weeks ago. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And in how, here's how you are filled with the Spirit. Here's the result of being filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes into the whole explanation of what marriage looks like. Here's the point. The Christian who submits to Christ and is filled with the Holy Spirit, is then able to submit to one another and then live out the calling of what God has given to them. The the Christian marriage works by the power of the Holy Spirit as people's hearts are set on Christ. All right, here's the overarching Reformation principle, and we'll wrap up. In marriage and in all other areas of life, you live by grace through faith. Sola gratia, sola fide. If you hate your spouse today and you're unforgiving of your spouse and you want out of your marriage and you claim that you know Jesus, what do you need? You need more grace and faith. You need more Christ in your life. Yeah, but you don't understand. My spouse is a terrible person. You need more grace and faith. You trust God to work in the heart of your spouse. And you ask God to work his grace and faith into your life. And in every other area of your life, we live the Christian life by grace through faith. Sola gratia, sola fide. I want to ask you, if you're single, please do not date or marry a non-Christian if you're a Christian. By the way, we happily perform weddings of two non-believers in this church. And we happily perform marriage, weddings of two believers in this church. We just will not do weddings for people who are unequally yoked. And when our elders have sat down and met with people and they realize one seems to be a believer and one does not, they won't let you get married here if they can figure that out. We've lost a lot of people that way. We've made a lot of enemies. But 
Our consciences are bound to God's word. I want to ask you not to be unequally yoked, but to only marry in the Lord. I, I could tell you story after story after story in this church and from other places where the girl meets the guy. He's in a cool uh, fraternity at college. He treats her so well. He comes from a great family. He grew up Methodist or Presbyterian. Uh, hadn't been to church once in college yet and is at a keg party every Saturday night, but he's really handsome. They've got a lot of money. He treats her so well. And then we see the destruction of what happens when people don't marry in the Lord. Parents, you cannot ultimately control your children. Grandparents, you can't control your, your children and your grandchildren. But you can speak the truth and warn in this way because the, the stakes are so high. Now, let me close in this way. We'll take the Lord's Supper together. My mom called me this week uh, to not give as many details as I can, or as few as I can. Uh, my dad is, uh, my parents are later in years, and my dad has dementia and is very tender and sweet and kind and loves my mom. But my mom is now taking care of my dad. Uh, he can fully take care of himself, but just she, she leads him like a, a very kind, gentle, adult child everywhere. He's just compliant and will do whatever he wants all the time. Well, she now takes him to the gym and uh, they have a trainer together and, and uh, my mom and dad will, after they, they were going to sell, they just celebrated 54 years of marriage. And hand in hand, my mom and dad walk into the gym today in Greenville, South Carolina and three people have come up to him. 54 years, two sinners, uh, a, a mom who's taking care and doing everything with her uh, adult friend who's with her at her side all the time. She walks in and she takes him over to the treadmill where he's supposed to walk and then over to where the weights are and all the different things that, that the trainer's having them do. And three people, she told me, have come up to them. Uh, two are single and cohabitating and they have said, it's so sweet what y'all have. Uh, y'all are so kind to each other. We love to watch when y'all come in here. When y'all come in here, the whole gym stops and, and likes to see what y'all do. A third one who's going through a divorce said to her this week, he said, I hope to have a marriage like you in my next one. Uh, my parents are sinners. I had a good life with my parents. They loved Jesus. But they fought, and they had bad hearts at times, and they were ungracious at times. They said things they should not have said to one another. What's the difference? The difference is because two people whose hearts are linked to Jesus, living by faith to the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the world takes notice of that kind of marriage. And it's possible for all of you who live by faith, marrying in the Lord, equally yoked to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would produce Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, grace-filled, spirit-filled marriages in this place that cause the onlooking world 
to say they want that. Oh, Father, protect our sons and daughters. Give them spouses that love the Lord Jesus. For those who uh, are in places of regret or brokenness or longing or disappointment today, administer your grace to them, your grace that is sufficient. And may they live sola gratia, sola fide, this day in the joy of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.